Hey, it's Tia Carrer, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys. couple of things yeah that um, i wanted to mention um <clears throat> which aren't really related to this podcast but two things okay. that piss me off about like headlines like on the internet right right the way if you're just like flicking through like shitty clickbait headlines one of them is um it's when it's like a, a publication is talking about like a game or a film, right, from like a while back. And they'll say, ah, oh, such and such remains um, uh, an innovative or groundbreaking sort of thing. It's like, well, it doesn't remain that, it just was that. Like, it doesn't, it, it, if it broke new ground or was innovative, then it. It will always do. It will always have done that. It doesn't remain that way. It was that. It's like, you know, like 35 years on or whatever, Tetris remains a groundbreaking game. And it's like, well, no, it just broke new ground. And that's it. It never it will never not have broken new ground. So it doesn't remain that way. It just it's, it's never going to not be that. So that pisses me off. The other thing is, is when you see a headline and it's usually about like some celebrity or something and it will be like, Oh, so and so breaks silence on some subject, uh, which is almost almost certainly something that they haven't actually been actively staying silent on. They just happen not to have mentioned it. So it's it's not like they're breaking silence. It's like you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio like breaks silence on his co-star in Titanic, and it's like, yes, that was twenty five years ago. <laughs> like he hasn't been like he hasn't been like like pursing his lips ever since it's just that's it like like there was no silence to break it has he hasn't been actively silent he just hasn't happened to have mentioned something those, you say that i but then every every morning when i wake up um and i sort of lie there for a few minutes sort of get on my bearings and then i i sort of turn face like facing away from me and i'll say oh are you are you awake babe and then she'll say you've chosen to break your silence <laughs> finally eight hours you've chosen to break your silence but why now why have you decided to talk now i bet you've broken your silence to talk about breaking your fast i suppose you want bread that has been warmed to toasting and warm butter spread across the top carelessly <laughs> I didn't know you were sleeping with Bane from the Dark Knight Rises. Weird. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, if I was sleeping with Tom Hardy, I would say, oh, before you go to bed, can you wash your hair? That'd be great. <laughs> no. Every greasy. woman I know completely fancies him, and I just think he looks a bit like a slightly greasy thug. Yeah, yeah. He looks like someone, like if he was in the pub of a pint and you sort of just clocked him as you were waiting for, at the bar, you just assume that he was someone who's like, you, you know, you, they say, oh, Tom, I haven't seen you since school. What are you up to, mate? And it's like, oh, you know, wash my nun's windows the other day, took a dog for a walk. Uh, yeah. Are you a bit of this for that? Like, bit of, bit of this, you bit of a job. You haven't, you haven't got, got a the job. job then. Yeah. You haven't got a job. <laughs> <laughs> are you always so busy uh, uh, to help my auntie's fridge out? You haven't got a job, have you? No, I haven't got a job. 
If you're moving furniture around or cleaning families' windows, that's not a job. <laughs> Even you if can't be paying you a tenner. <laughs> that the taxman will never see. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I don't get as irritated. I just get generally irritated with headlines. Um, and especially like what I've, because my, I, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, my sort of zone out uh, podcasty thing is, is like wrestling stuff. Right. Like I'm not an avid viewer of wrestling, but I will happily just listen to podcasts and stuff about it. And um, because I doesn't, I don't have to concentrate because I haven't got like a real vested interest. And right. like for example, this is just I mentioned that because the first thing that popped into my head when you talked about irritating um, headlines was the other day it said uh, WWE Hall of Famer, uh, and it was probably like break silence on recent firing. <laughs> and I thought, just say who it is, really. And then, oh, yeah, the classic you know, you just, It's like just like leading away, like, oh, so and so. And it's like, we just say, say the person who said it. Stop. Yeah. I, I just don't, it just seems really, really cheap to me. It just seems a bit like, I don't know. It, yeah, it, well, it's, 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 it's classic clickbait, isn't it? It's like when there's a headline and it says, oh, you know, such and such a movie or such and such a game uh, finally has a release date. Right. And then I know what's going to happen. I'll click on this headline. It will go to the story and there'll be like several paragraphs giving background to what this game is or this film is. Uh, so you can get a few ads in. And then finally, it'll say, all right, yeah, it's been released next year. Don't have a firm <laughs> release date, but it's, it's probably it's, somewhere around December. It's when you look as well on like, like video game reviews, for example, and you'll click on it and you'll think, God, this is, this is really, I'm really having to scroll down for this. And it's, you realize that it's someone saying, just talking about something they've obviously just got a word count they have to hit yes. of like 1500 so they're just waffling it's like well street fighter as a series has been around since 1987 yeah. original and you think this this is about street fighter 5 or 6 or whatever it is now it's you're a, just filling it stop stop hitting a word count to get yeah. as many ads in as possible uh, yeah and and it's even worse now because so many of these like trash sites are clearly using like ai to do a lot of this stuff Oh really? Can, oh yeah, you can tell. You can tell when they're just feeding you information. It's like this is written by AI. I think the thing is, it doesn't really the clickbait stuff doesn't work for me because, like, for instance, the reason. Well, I just won't click on it. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, I just, just I, you know, I just remove it from whatever feed I'm on, and that's it. Done. Never see it again. Yeah, no. I don't. It it doesn't it doesn't uh, sort of entice me or no. I don't get I don't get FOMO. I what it does is just make me more and more disinterested in in news <laughs> as as a thing. I just think well I'll just won't know anything then. I'm, I'd rather like <laughs> not know anything and never be informed. That's of your conscientious objection. You're just not going to actually find out any new facts whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> like see someone I haven't seen since I was in school and they come to me in a pub and they're like oh Brit and don't bother mate I haven't got a clue I, I, whatever you say to me I'm not going to have whatever any response I cannot relate to anything you're saying whatever whatever like you bring up as long as, as unless it directly relates to me and something that I have very specifically like gone through personally physically there then I won't know what you're talking I, I about I literally won't know I stopped learning facts in 2021 so, you so we effectively can't have a conversation or like facts to get my opinions on things. All you can do is ask me if I remember things that I will clearly remember. Yeah, that's it. That's the conversation. Or how things were up until a couple of years ago, and that's it. Um, and even then they were shit, mate. Yeah. Um. So you know, that's so that's um. Uh, it's a bit of a negative opening to to this. <laughs> 
to this just complaining like bitter old men, bitter middle-aged sexy men about um about the new but yes yeah, state of the internet today. Uh speaking of things that are continuing that theme, um I had a, a practical joke. I, well, I, this is the thing, right? So, uh, welcome to Kingdom Kingdom eighty one, by the way. Um, and yeah, we, we've we had a bit of a break because I went on a holiday. Uh, Rupert's been deathly ill. He's come back from the life four times between through a mixture of gin and voodoo. Um, like it's Halloween, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, so I was I was away. I went I went to Barcelona. Nice and. Which it was nice, but what tickled me was so the first night we were there it was just me and Faye, and uh, we were in the hotel and get ready to go out, and something happened, and I don't know if it was um, a practical joke I don't understand, or if someone was just like just genuinely making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so we was in the hotel, and obviously there's smart TVs, so we were listening to um, Spanish jazz music because we got ready to go out in the evening, awesome. and all of a sudden the you, we were listening through YouTube, and it just went off, and it came on to. I didn't even know what it was. It just went on like it was an advert had kicked in. And mm. but then I happened to notice in the corner of the screen it said Alasda's phone connected. Oh. Alasda, by the way, is one of my least favorite names because it should be a T. It should be Alistair. <laughs> it shouldn't be Alasda. It shouldn't suddenly be soft in the middle of it, like like someone's been hit with a toffee hammer in the temple mid wood. It shouldn't your name shouldn't sound like that. It's like and, Michael spelled E A L. Just that's die. just that's just a misspelling. Spelling, that's just a miss. That's your dad having sixteen cans of Castlemaine before he signs the birth certificate. That is. Um, so basically, so Alistair had Alistair, connected. Alistair, by, uh, just call him Alistair, because he'll piss me off less. Yeah, he was casting so to your TV. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but so it casted to my TV, but it took me to. I know nothing about comedy apart from Stuart Lee and like Billy Connolly. That's where my knowledge ends. Um, it, it a Mickey Flanagan. 10 nice. second clip of him saying something vaguely offensive about people from Norfolk on a panel show. Right. But it was, it was looping every, it was just looping every 10 seconds. And I thought that's really odd. So I went through the Bluetooth on this in Spanish on a phone on this TV. And I was like, Mm-mm-mm-mm. right. Disconnect Bluetooth devices. And it happened again. In fact, it happened five times. Right. And in the end, I just turned off Bluetooth completely. So nothing could connect to the TV and that put a stop to it. But I thought, there's only two that I'm aware of, and please email us at the outlook.com if you feel there's another answer. Either someone was doing the most gentle, practical joke on me that I can imagine <laughs> by making me watch a mildly amusing comment of a British comedian talking about Norfolk. Or this, there's a person in the room was so was obviously connected to the wrong TV, and he was so desperate to watch that joke on loop. <laughs> he was in there, come on, come on, I need to see him talk about Norfolk. Um, and I thought, I thought, I did, I did, I, I, I paid it no more mind after I'm, disconnecting the Bluetooth, but I don't know what was happening. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of what happens when he cast from YouTube. I mean, would he presumably wouldn't have seen it on his phone because it would have been like just controls on his phone. So he would have been wondering why it's not coming up on his TV. So he would have found, he would have searched for devices, found the device, and it happened to be closer than his own TV. So it cast to yours in the next room. And then yeah. <laughs> it was probably just repressing, repeat, repeat. Why is it working? Why is it working? Let me see Mickey Flanagan. It'd be so funny if I could hear him through the wall. Like, why is it working? Mickey Flanagan. It's just going to take a bit over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, it's just nothing though. It was quite bizarre. 
Um, but that's true, actually. He probably was there, like standing. He must. Yeah. I'll try to connect to the nearest TV, but I'll stand with my back against the wall to my neighbour. <laughs> my TV is on the furthest wall away from me. That'll be so. And then, so it's like in his head, it's a straight line. But obviously, it's connecting through the wall behind him. I mean, there <clears> could but, have been worse things he was casting to the TV. I suppose. It, but this is the better. thing, right? I bet you it was a millennial. I bet it was some soft millennial saying, "Oh, I'll put on some Mickey Flanagan. That'll be funny." When back in my days, it was lemon pie or meat spin. You, you when you got you got seriously jibbed let me tell you oh meat spin someone, that would be worth if, looping for 10 seconds at least if someone when i was a boy if someone told me a joke and i didn't dry heave or actually vomit then it, as far as i was concerned it wasn't funny mate <laughs> oh, um, the old days. so yeah so yeah continuing this um this theme because just a few things we've had um a few things i wanted to mention and a few comments from our listeners as well we love you all um I was I was in work the other day and someone said to me a comment, Ram. And you know how we 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 occasionally mention the upper hand, yes, and how it's just really soft, gentle TV. Yes. Well, <clears throat> someone said to me, um, oh, "What are you doing this weekend?" And I said, "I've got no plans." And they said, "Oh, you're probably just going to watch Rosemary and Time, aren't you?" And I sort of did like a sort of a laugh, and then they said, "You don't know what that is, do you?" And <laughs> I said, no, I've got no idea what that is. And apparently it's a show from the, I assumed it was from the 70s, but it's from like the early 2000s. Right. It's a show with like Penelope, what's her name? Felicity Kent. Possibly. Yeah. And they, they're called like Susan, Rosemary and Brian Time or something, two oh, women. Jesus and they, they have to, and they, they, they're gardeners who like share an allotment, but they also solve crimes. And I mm. thought, fuck, just the fuck That's off. gentle. And the fact it's called Rosemary and Time, and I mentioned it to my mum, and she, <laughs> I said, I have a show called Rosemary and Time, and she went, up oh, Brit, it's awful, it's awful." <laughs> she said there was only like one or two seasons. Oh, it was dreadful, and I thought, "Oh my god, if my mother, who will happily watch with this kind of like Jean Teal TV, yeah. she's just... bang into Eli Roth movies though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, specifically sequels. She never watches the first in any film franchise. She goes straight to the end and then works backwards. She waits, she waits for them to be released and then for there to be at least a five-year gap from the last film, so she knows that the next one likely will be a remake, which she won't watch anyway. And then she works backwards. So critters four, critters three, critters two, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing was recently, I've, I've. Um, over the over the sort of Halloween season, I've been watching some horror shorts because I've had some good experiences. But uh, there's a problem with horror shorts, isn't there? Because mm-hmm. when you're in the, do you ever get in the mood to watch them? Do you ever think I've got a few horror shorts? Yes, yeah. but I find they they quite often rely on the same conceit. <laughs> this is exactly what I was going to say. Right? <laughs> so I said to Faye the other day, we were there and we were just having food, and I said, look, we're both really tired, but I fancy a bit of horror, horror let's watch some let's watch some shorts and she was like yeah wicked so i i just typed in horror shorts 2023 and of course when i've done this before i've planned in advance and i've gone on you know ones that have sort of quite celebrated because anything can say award winning because if they're made in university they'll probably win that university's award for exactly. this shit film so you can't trust any awards or whatever um but i was watching them and every one of them every one of whether they were two or three minutes long or they were 13 to 15 minutes long they I think I can do it. They, they did this, right? If you imagine, I will um, verbalize what your brain does whenever you watch 90, I would say 95% of horror shorts. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh. That's it. It's, it's always like something slightly intriguing. And then, yeah. uh, 
and then a slightly buzzing face and absolutely a cop out absolutely a massive yeah. cop out yeah. oh when, if, when, there, when there's a, when's there going to be a creepy face ah oh, it's at the end right done yeah yeah not that and, and even, even the ones that didn't do that um, i haven't got any to hand the names of them but even the ones that didn't end with just like a really cheap jump scare yeah they kind of they always cocked up their own ending it's like they <laughs> it's like they thought we have to do something at the end that'll just kind of just really ruin what we, whatever good we've got here but i was just thinking what are the purpose of horror i'm guessing it's people is it people do them for fun or people do them for for funding to show off their skills or whatever I mean, a lot of the time they are student films aren't they i suppose like a lot of filmmakers start off with them i mean scorsese did a short film well i guess it would have been back in the 60s maybe and that was someone uh shaving and then they end up like slashing their face and cutting like ribbons of skin off it's quite disgusting but pretty cool it does sound it yeah and zemeckis did one with a is that 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 one with the elevator should i say is it called bick Maybe he was just using a one blade bick he'd bought in like a, in a W. Yeah. Smith. Have you ever shaved with a bick? You may have sensitive sand on your face. Um, yeah, so I think I, it's the same reason that a lot of them start off with horror as well, don't they? Because you can use, you know, you know, uh, a lot of like editing techniques. There's a bit of makeup in there. You can use interesting lighting and stuff. And a lot of the time they can be kind of wordless as well. So you don't have to rely on a good actor. So yeah. So I think a lot of the time they do start off as shorts. Well, they John Carpenter just... made Dark Star, and that was technically a student film, I think. I don't think I've ever seen Dark Star. It's quite amusing, but it's very much of its time. I mean, it's just hippies in space, really. But it's got <laughs> it's got a really cool atmosphere to it. I mean, obviously it's very basic now, but you can see this craft there, and it's like uh, spacecraft indeed. Hmm. Really, all horror shorts should be um, someone like tucking down for bed alone in a dark house or flat or whatever, and then they hear like a like a a creaking floorboard, and then they they sort of get out of bed, and they, they walk along and they're just looking through the dark corridors, and then they see a silhouette, and then they say, "Is, is anyone there?" And then a voice echoes back, "Ah, you see, you've broken your silence," <laughs> and then. Boom, cut the black gunshot, scary face, scary. door slamming, <laughs> clock spinning round, <laughs> anything, any other shit, train and coming to a halt. Wheel out the tropes in the last shot. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the only, I don't, I mean, I don't really watch too many of them. I, I went on a whole marathon of like watching recommended scary shorts and they're all very disappointing, to be honest. I think the only one that's really like had it that much of an impact was lights out the original short of that that was yeah yeah that almost killed me so but that was good i, I found a lot of them and, very and mama as that well not as good sam mama oh yeah 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 that was and of course then they're made into full-length features which aren't as good <laughs> yes yes i think that's probably a theme with short horrors you know when they when they just they take something and then think oh well yeah that was so funny it's like a six minute short was so well received let's make that two hours long and then yeah. extend it to a 10 movie franchise what could go wrong bloom house <laughs> <laughs> are you listening <laughs> um, um 
do you remember a few episodes ago I was talking to you about, and this never really went anywhere. No one ever seemed to to respond to this, but I'm going to continue anyway. I said that some some words make, give give me visualizations and uh, visual visualizations in my mind, and the other day another mm-hmm. one popped up. So I don't know if you remember. Last time I said that the word attorney makes mm-hmm. me think of a really thin slice of like cheap beef in really watery <laughs> gravy. Well, the other day, another word popped into my head. and I thought, oh, yeah, that always gives me this image as well. So the word extraordinary always makes me think of the fondant center of a strawberry chocolate. <laughs> just thought, I just I'm surprised no one else has this certain words that trigger images in their mind. I mean, is it just because extraordinary sounds a bit like strawberry or is there some onomatopoeic element to it? I don't That's think right. I'm that thick. I'm not that thick. I think <laughs> there has to be something more that I don't understand. Like words, it's like when, when someone says, you know, wind, because it's spelt the same as wind. I don't think of a breeze. I'm not that okay. superficial. Um, well, that would be quite advanced, though, wouldn't it? Because you'd then you'd be visualising the actual shape of the word in your mind, wouldn't you? Before we proceed <laughs> to to the next... Before we go down this linguistic rabbit hole. <laughs> um yeah, before we continue on, there's another thing. We've had a few uh, comments. Um, there's one thing I have to tell you about C. Thomas Howell, and mm-hmm. there are some, some some comments from the listeners. But I have to do this before I forget because you know, you know how we're so minted. We did we basically didn't bother with sponsorship for a while. Yeah, we didn't need it. Yeah, we it's didn't really need it. Well, so oh, Christmas is coming Tony up. House. Yeah, still reeling in from Tony. Thank you, Tony. That I. But recently, I was thinking Christmas is coming up. I could do with a few more sovereign rings, which I will wear over my winter gloves. That I, I was just thinking, well, I could do with a bit more cash. So I opened it up online, and we had a response from a pretty big company. So I think that uh, I'll just play this and uh, and let it speak for itself. Hi, I'm Sarah British Airways. You probably thought that British Airways was named as such because it's a British airline, but it's not. It's owned by my family from the early days when Bertie British Airways formed the airline right through to the modern era where I, along with my husband, Brian Susan British Airways, run the company, always with our customers and their safety on our mind. And I'm here to tell you that if you turn up late to our airline, and you miss your flight because you were late, then fuck you. <laughs> it's just that it, I was. I mean, it's great that British Airways have shown an interest in the podcast, but yeah. it's 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 less it's less sort of an advertisement. It's more of a like a hardline stance, isn't it? It's just really, it's more like a uh, just a confrontation rather than an advertisement as such. But um. But it's great, you know, that they're they're on board. You know, they feel that they can put their name to. I can, I can just imagine like a, 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 an advert, or like a, or don't even advert a family like of the children have watched the adverts on TV over and again and listened to them on our podcasts, and then they're getting ready to go, and um, and they're like, oh, we're late, we're late, and then it's like they're rushing around the house, and then the little boy, the little four-year-old. It's that we're like we'll be, oh, we'll be okay. Quick, pack your bags and we'll be, we'll just make it. And then the little boy says, "Daddy, who are we flying with?" It's, oh, British Airways. And then the little boy goes, "Oh no, 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 Daddy! Remember, British Airways. Fuck you." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh yeah, they'll we'll just be up shit creek when we if we turn up late." So it's, See, it's this would have changed the movie Home Alone quite a lot <laughs> if they brought up and they're like, "I am out. <laughs> Stop there." 
sorry guys but you're late so fuck you go home <laughs> yeah that's probably for the best actually because we left kevin at home yeah and i've realized that now and not in the middle of a flight a transatlantic flight so that's good (laughs) yeah it would be very different the sequel is all of them in fact if actually the fourth one does anyone go anywhere or do they just feel they'll just sit up in bed and stare at the wall for two hours there was there was Home Alone 3, and then... The, was Home Alone 3 was a different kid, and there was a remake. Oh, that with a British kid. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, that wasn't very good, was it? No, yeah. it wasn't very good at all. That was the one where they cocked up even a basic visual gag where someone's climbing a wall and getting stuck. They even cocked that up. I remember that, yeah. yeah. But thank you, thank you, British Airways. British and, uh, and also, congratulations on taking a, a, a no-frills stance on... People who are late for the airline. No mercy stance. Um, okay, so uh, Max has said, on KK, you talk about films with stuff like Aliens or Possession, and they don't appeal as they're things you don't believe in. Weirdly, a good example of this is Miracle on 34th Street. Santa is in court accused of being a fraud, but it isn't about a mystical being, but about the need for people to have something to believe in, like the goodness of others, etc. So for these to work, they really need to speak to something universally understood, which I thought was a good point. Um, it, it, yeah, it's not... I, I think it's not so much they don't appeal because it's something I don't believe in. It's, I think it's when that's all they've got. Like, it's... It's it's the pre- it's it's presentation. It's like with I think because this came up with the Mossman prophecies, didn't it? It's like yeah, yeah. it's delivered like a kind of procedural, a like uh, a, like an actual mystery, like a real life mystery to be uncovered, rather than treating it as like a supernatural thing where there's some sort of ambiguity about what's real and what's what's fake. It's like okay, this is stuff actually happened. We have to actually find like the reasons behind it by doing like journalistic work, and it's like no, no, because because none of this stuff did happen. When he pulled the phone out the wall, it stopped ringing. <laughs> That's the scene you that remember. Sums it up. Is you 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 what do you remember Mothman prophecies, Rupert? I remember Richard Gear clumsily answering a telephone. Boom. Oh, yeah, it so it's wall, not it? like because there are great ghost movies. I don't believe in ghosts, but like there are great ghost movies. But I mean, I think often they will tap into some uh, primeval part of the human brain, I suppose, uh, that kind of not necessarily wants to believe in ghosts, but there's some like leftover from, I don't know, it's some caveman part of the brain. But also on top of that, they're also they're also about something else, you know, they're about madness or you know sanity or or whatever about family dynamics. There are other elements to it that you know make it an interesting film and scary in its own right. Uh, you know about the idea of losing your mind uh, because of ambiguous elements in the world, which may or may not be there. <clears throat> Problem with stuff like Mothman prophecies is it doesn't want there to be that ambiguity it wants to tr- it wants you to believe that this is all true and it's a really disturbing mystery sort of thing but it's not though is it it was a it was a, a dodgy bridge with rusted iron 
That's why it fell down. I suppose it's almost like watching a Christian film, like an overtly Christian yeah. film that's all about, you know, and when you know, and when Jesus came out of the cave, and it's just presented, like you say, almost as a, as a just a factual documentary. You think it's just not that interesting, is it? Because it's not, it's not really saying anything. It's just yeah. like regurgitating sort of you know, supposed facts or beliefs. It just doesn't. There's no like real story behind that. There's no extra dimensions to it yeah so yeah um and we had another one following on because this is obviously part two of a, a, a sort of much belated halloween episode uh, ben said buzzing stuff in films <laughs> <laughs> both the eye slicing scene in unchien andalou and the curb stomping one in american history x can fuck all the way off and then they can fuck off a bit more and yes. now i've thought about both of those i'm going to have to watch weird science to cheer myself up <laughs> No, so there's quite graphic mutilation there, really. Mm. Yeah, the curb stomping scene is. I, I still, I can still hear the crunch that happens in that scene, and and it's before he steps on him on his head. It's the, it's the kind of, like the skittering of his teeth on the concrete, like getting a grip as well. Yeah. That kind of like chalky movement just before he stamps on him. Um, yeah, that's another. Was... That would be another, that would be another perfect scene where after he does that, he stamps on the guy's head and it bursts on the pavement. There could have been a perfect spot there for some Nurofen Plus adverts. <laughs> um, like so they're getting missing a trick bit. Unchien Andalou. I'm guessing that's a French film. Yeah, was it? Um, this dog or something? The dog called Andrew. The, the Andalusian dog. And the <clears throat> Andrew loses it's... his dog. I can't remember. The... <laughs> yes the was it it wasn't directed by salvador Dali, was it we had something to do that anyway but oh, that, so it's that, a that's short... the, oh, the old ice slice yes that kind of surrealist yes i have seen that yeah because sh- it's a short film and the ice slice as far as i know was an actual cow eye which is why it's so disgustingly like because it cuts to an extreme close-up and then you get the slice it's just a bit of surrealism, but early surrealism, so it was quite groundbreaking. It remains quite groundbreaking. It remains quite Yeah, I saw that in some clickbait the other day. And and the last thing I have before we go into the, the meat of the podcast is uh, Lee says, we were talking the last episode about the, the what I, I think we both refer to it as, in horror films, the overused distant foghorn. You know, on trailers like yeah. that. And he, he, he said... That when he hears that foghorn in trailers or in movies, he hears it like this. Oh no! <laughs> Which, and I know now. The next time I hear it, I'm gonna—that's <laughs> gonna happen to me as well. So thank you for that. It's just a, an ominous sign of what's coming. My third album. Um. So yeah, I mean, we, and with that, Rupert, I guess it's it's on to the movies. It is. Um. Well, this is actually part two, technically, isn't it, of our Halloween horror special. So I just got horror movies today. Oh, nice. Good. Uh, I mean, we did have, unfortunately, you weren't able to make it, but we did have our action. Um, the theme of which was prison and ghostly prisoners. Right. Uh, so we watched three movies. Um, two of which we had to watch on YouTube because they're not available on any streaming services. Um, first one was Prison, uh, YouTube. Rennie Harlan, 
directed mm. this in year 87 starring Viggo Mortensen it's about a, a, a cruel prison governor who oversaw a miscarriage of justice years ago and someone was sent to the electric chair and basically now they're back in spirit form to terrorize him and the inmates in this ramshackle hastily open prison um which hasn't been updated in decades and basically prisoners start dying in grisly ways and foul play is assumed but then it soon becomes clear there's a supernatural force at work and there are a lot of problems with the film i won't lie this main twist supposedly explaining Viggo Mortensen's relationship with the governor which is confusing and unnecessary there's a female character who's denied access to the prison who's just a bad actress and her presence in the film is just completely unnecessary and she's just in a hotel room the whole time and generally the film does set up a lot of characters in a kind of simplistic Shawshank kind of way and provides very few of them with satisfying payoffs but I will say it's quite impressively directed and Rennie Harlan does capitalise on a limited budget and he makes the most of a creaky setting. And Viggo Mortensen's character is silent to the point of being quite dull, but he does carry it because he's cool. Um, and some people may see the ridiculously over-the-top acting as a fault. I think I like it. I mean, everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet. As long as it's consistent within the film's universe, that's fine. Uh and in, but in the end, it's it's not a very scary horror film, and it's an unconvincing drama, and it's a middling action movie. But you can see why Rennie Harlan got bigger gigs. Um, so it doesn't deserve to be completely forgotten. Then we watched <coughs> a film called Slaughterhouse Rock, um, which is also on YouTube. And this is about uh, this teenager is hounded by living nightmares, which he explains to his teacher, right, who instantly comes up with a plan to go to Alcatraz Island to settle the spirits of a dead rock band who are played by real life, briefly popular early nine, early eighties, new wave. The kid and his friends go to the, go with the teacher to the Island at night without any kind of a plan, I might add. And they get instantly attacked by evil spirits, which possess their bodies and turn them into psychotic zombie type monsters. Meanwhile, Devo, the band, are these ghosts who are hatching a plan to use the main teenager, who is a pathetic weasel of a protagonist, by the way, he's so cowardly, um, to quell and ultimately banish the evil spirits, something like that. So on one level, Slaughterhouse Rock is a completely perfunctory 80s slasher set in Alcatraz. On another level, it's very idiosyncratic. And it's occasionally original labour of love for its writer-director. So the dialogue is quite annoyingly smart-ass, which is fine when the like undead band turn up, but the students just sound really unconvincing and smug the entire time. And the script has spent about a third of its running time with over-complex exposition scenes. And the director has no idea how to craft a jump scare. I mean, it's really <laughs> conspicuous. There'll be like a scene where someone will be like hiding like under a stairs or something. And so you're kind of waiting. It's like all quiet. You're waiting for the jump scare. But then you'll like see someone like slowly coming into frame down the stairs. And then suddenly they'll jump out at the person. And like the character on the screen gets scared. But of course, we, we've got we've already seen the person approaching so it's not a jump scare for us it's really odd yeah so 
but yeah, it's completely mad and very fast moving. Uh, and it's got some decent gore effects, but it, it's pretty much saved from mediocrity by just the sheer energy of the Devo non-actors, especially Tony Basil. And it's trash, but it is authored trash. And I'd watch it again. And it, the YouTube version, though, weirdly has, well, the one we watched, blurred out the nudity, oddly, but it was absolutely fine with women having their throats torn out and fists going directly through people's heads. So I'm not sure what that was about. Um, and finally, we watched Shocker. Right. <laughs> I had to buy on Prime because it's so good. Uh, oh, so good. It's the absolute jewel in the crown. Wes Craven made this in 1988, and it's about a college grad with powers of premonition who helps the cops, including his dad, track down a psychotic serial killer who's then put to the electric chair. But in doing so, his spirit escapes and he becomes an electrically charged entity which can enter someone's body and control them to do his murderous bidding. And that's just the first half of the film, because... Ultimately, the college kid has to enter the electrical world of the killer to take him down, which culminates in just the greatest final sequence in cinematic history. Uh, It's like with this film, it feels like they had a solid but slightly dull concept, like a premonition conceit so they can catch a bad guy. But then they ran out of narrative like around 40 minutes in. So they just made it up as they went along after that. There are three or four clear moments from about an hour onwards where this film just should end. But it just keeps going and going. I'm not sure Wes Craven had any control over the material. I mean, apparently the the visual effects were unfinished. But that part of it, the sheer shonkiness of, of the, like the last half is... It just goes with the unpredictable tone. Every scene is either like, why would that happen? Or what is happening in front of my eyes? There's a, like, there's a scene where the kid comes back to a crime scene, right? His girlfriend's just been murdered. He's, and he just walks through the crime scene. All these cops around, obviously all smoking. All these cops around. And he just like, there's blood smeared on the walls and stuff. And he just like, is able to like, no one's stopping him. He's just able to put his hands in the blood and then kneel at the side of his like girlfriend's disemboweled corpse. It's ridiculous. And there's there's a scene where the killer possesses the body of a five-year-old girl, right? And she goes and steals an industrial digger and then manages to sneak up on the protagonist in the digger. It's like standing there and suddenly there's a digger like coming out and it's absolutely bizarre. And there are there was kind of a running <laughs> joke. I don't know whether it was intentional from Wes Craven, but there's like multiple scenes which are set around this guy's waterbed. Like that's like a thing in the film. There's loads of scenes around this waterbed. And like there's all these like knife based fights near this waterbed. But Wes Cra- it's like Wes Craven's like teasing us because the bed never gets pierced. And you're just waiting for someone to stab the bed and it never happens. Really <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's that aforementioned final sequence which is unbelievably tasteless and it's just the perfect way the only way this film could end and it's not scariest and it's scary in the slightest i'd say this film but it's just full of brilliant madness and i love it and oh wow it's not just that they don't make them like this anymore it's that they probably wouldn't have made it like this if they did it again which makes it completely unique and i love it so that's shocker 
Um, that that yeah. sounds re- really good. Yeah, and that I, is definitely a yeah really forgotten gem. I suppose this was in the period between Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. Really, we've still not done my birthday. Yeah, um, I know. Thing and that that could be a good one for that, like a full day of it. If we just yeah. find a little cottage somewhere with no one electricity and end up just having a watch of some films, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, right. This is so. What I'm what I've decided to do for today. I've got a few horrors as well, but obviously because the the Halloween episode was a two parter, I some of these films I watched like six weeks ago, yes. so I'm just gonna try and 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 do my best with them, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. work through them as I saw them chronologically, so I can catch up with myself. Some of these are gonna be TMTs, by the way, two minute trashings, sure. because really don't need to say too much time about uh, spend too much time on them. But what I do need to spend a bit of time on is a film from 1998 called Shepherd, starring C. Thomas Howell, David Carradine, and Roddy Piper. Bloody hell. Um, which is a film that my, uh, my I had a, a wonderful uh, birthday film day down my brothers and this is one of the films we watched um, one of the one of the four or five I'm going to cover today and this is just it's, it's it was it was quite it was quite the experience Rupert <laughs> because obviously as we know that Thomas C. Thomas Howell is consistently miscast in every role he's in right like everything we've ever seen him in he's been miscast in would you agree with that apart from the original Hitcher Yes, I yeah. possibly even the original hit should be yes. Or maybe that's just a retrospective thing. I don't. Know. <laughs> just because yeah. he's he's been so miscast since. So he's in this uniquely charmless actor, yes, he is. It, this is set in a in a future, and and humanity has been driven underground through some sort of virus. So everyone lives in like subway tunnels and well, let's call it what it is, a warehouse in Los Angeles. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And so see Thomas Howell, right, who was this is 98. So he would have been probably like early to mid 30s. Bear in mind, he's like skinny and pale. He's got what I assume is a fake beard because it's just really, really black and really bushy. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's it's either been trimmed in a really stupid way or it's just a fake one that's been stuck on. He plays a really like grizzled bounty hunter. Um, but. It's like they know he's been miscast, and when he turned up for the first day of shooting, they looked at him and thought, "Oh shit!" So they've they've had to like put a fake beard on him and make him wear like it's almost like a raincoat with shoulder mm-hmm. pads, and then he's got like a, a really you know bad tattoos and feels just really black, and he's got a snake yeah. tattoo on his chest, his pigeon chest that's really pale. It's like they're trying to conceal that it's C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, it's like they thought, "Oh, we've got the wrong one, haven't we?" Um. So he plays this this bounty hunter and he's constantly putting on these. I said they're set in the future, all on the ground. It's all like sort of everything's blue, and he's constantly drinking blue drinks. Really, so, like not doing shots of this futuristic blue drink as if like oh, I need I need this. He always buys them. He buys about four or five in the film, and, and he takes like really ginger sips and sort of goes, oh, like like he doesn't like it, but it's the only one he can afford. Um, so he's and he's putting on these. He goes back to his sort of apartment. Randall apartment, he puts on these VR goggles. Bear that in mind. And he sees a sort of glitchy, pixelated views of his memories, but of course, viewed from a third person perspective. 
So he's like watching himself interact with his family, oh like God. like someone else was filming it. But that's how his memories work. Like the audience would be too stupid to understand a first person, like a POV shot. So yeah. he's constantly like um, with his wife and his son, and it's quite clear that they've, they've been killed. And he's just gone into bounty hunting and whatever just to sort of get away from it. And he's played as this hard ass, and it's just it just just doesn't ring true. Meanwhile, um, Roddy Piper is overacting in this film he plays a sort of it's like he started an underground religion it's like it's got christian symbolism mm. and he quotes i don't know if he's quoting passages from the bible or not but he's got this sort of military that works under him and he just constantly speaking in in just metaphors and like never really making too much sense or answering questions directly he's in this sort of underground compound thing but this you know like a big loads of cameras watching them and he's just constantly quoting from scripture and, and talking to people over the radios and stuff and that actually leads to some of the funniest moments in the film so th- the plot is that c thomas howell is just you know dead end just wants to drink himself to death sort of thing and just get money for more blue drinks that he doesn't like and he stumbles across a woman he's given a target and it's a woman but when he goes to shoot her um she's got a young son with her and it reminds him of his family so he sort of goes on the run with them but of course this is all filmed in 1998 on the shush and it's just when i say go on the run with them they basically go up and down a street represented <laughs> a single tunnel in a warehouse in los angeles with loads of bench sheets everywhere uh, so and then roddy piper has got um mackenzie gray i've got a feeling i've come across him in other films it's called linden and it's roddy piper he's, he's got this henchman main henchman called linden mm. and the, he sends him after c thomas howell because he didn't go ahead with the the, the bounty there are some really there are some really funny moments in this film um there's a scene where Roddy Piper is is just quoting, like constantly just quoting and talking in circles, regardless of the context of what people are asking him. And and like there's a scene where like Lyndon says to him, he's got this really raspy kind of Michael Wincotty voice, and he says to Roddy Piper over this kind of intercom, and again, it's all kind of like 70s styled. Like they're constantly sitting in these little cars, which are clearly cars you get in the carts you get in airports with shutters pulled down over them on these little. But then when you see the camera shots inside them, they're clearly much bigger than they are from the outside. <laughs> and it's it's this Lyndon guy and this henchman constantly talking to Roddy Piper. And Lyndon clearly has some sort of connection with C. Thomas Howard's character, Dakota. And Mackenzie, oh, sorry, Lyndon will say to Roddy Piper, oh, look. He's he's managed to escape, um, but he's taken down one of our men. Shall I bring him? Shall I bring? Shall I bring our man back for, for medical assistance, or shall I continue with pursuit? And then it'll cut to Roddy Piper in like a toga, like spinning in a circle. He'll say, "Ah, but when the lamb moves away from the rest of the crowd, doth the shadows call upon the hills?" And 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 is that a yes? And yeah, and that's the whole thing. It's and then like Glinda will go. So I'll carry on going after him then. And it, and it becomes, it's the only like actual funny part in the film that like, is meant yeah. to be funny because the eye rolls that this Lyndon henchman gets when he asks a question and Roddy Piper goes into one of his, ah, but, and, and it, it cuts back to Lyndon and his eyes are doing the slowest, deepest back roll you've ever encountered. And it gets really, really funny. Um, So there's also a scene where Rod, someone gets on Roddy's nerves and he doesn't just, he doesn't just punch them in the face. So they fall on the floor. He then, quoting scripture, kicks them out of a room. 
So if you imagine you and I were having, like, I punched you and you dropped straight down. And yeah. then I started in Bible passages, but like booting you in the guts. But so you'd only move a few feet each time. She's like, yes. And of course, the Lord speaketh. Boom. And he's like, kicks him about 15 See? times out of a room. And I thought, he's really having a co of that guy. Is he kicking him along or is the person kicking, like. He's kicking him along, like kicking him in the guts. And he's skidding backwards a few feet each yeah. time. Really, You'd have to kick someone really hard to do that. <laughs> Oh, he is repetitive. <laughs> <It> <laughs> so, so yes, uh, so this goes on, and there's every now and again, C. Thomas Howell's character interacts with this Lyndon, and they've clearly got this connection that's never explained until the end. And and Lyndon keeps on sort of hinting that you know his that C. Thomas Howell's memories have been altered. He keeps on saying things like, "Oh yes, we found your VR glasses, the pitiful, beautiful wife and son." Yes, uh, dr- uh, memories are so much so much better when they've been sweetened and all this sort of stuff and see Thomas Howell's like what whatevs I'm gonna and they're running off from him he bumps into David Carradine who I just assumed was drunk in this film because he plays a ventriloquist in this horrible dive motel and he's just got this weird doll in his hand that he talks to and then there's a really weird scene where see Thomas Howell turns up to take refuge there for a night and David Carradine is like it's it's like the doll he he starts to like seduce see Thomas Howell as he's sleeping like rubbing his face with a doll like shh but like touching him with a doll and then when he wakes up it's like what are you doing he, he's like jealous of the doll for trying to be with another man it's just this real <laughs> bizarre surreal sequence just plunked in the middle of the film that sounds uh, amazing yeah it, and david karen doesn't give a hoot he's obviously thought right, i'm just gonna have half a bottle of tequila and go in for this one and not care what i look like so this all builds up to a culmination of a sequence where they get to the end of the warehouse and they go to this church and the the sun is is like just instantly falls asleep on a pier and then see Thomas Howell <laughs> and this this woman just have this really like like visceral sex like right in front of the sleeping child like a few feet away from him and it's like really mm. grunty and see Thomas Howell's got a really hairy ass and it, mm. and it's just this it's just like the camera's just on them there's no like intimacy it's just like uh, uh, and the camera just is just like on <laughs> writhing on the bed and I thought this is just unpleasant and also the church there it is such a fire hazard because it's one of those well, you know, you go they go somewhere in a in a film, and there's about four hundred candles that have been lit, and it's yes. got, it's got drapes inches inches <laughs> billowing above the candles, and I thought that is going to go up like a fucking firework if you're on the table. Um, so yeah, and then so basically the whole film goes on like this and this and blah blah blah, and I guess to the end we found out that Lyndon is actually C. Thomas Howell's brother, and he's been doctoring these memory third person BR tapes he's been watching. And then he says, Oh, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. And mm-hmm. it, so he puts the glasses on and it shows C. Thomas Howell morphs into his brother. And he realizes what's actually happened is his his brother was having an affair with his wife. And then they've obviously been having an affair for a while. And then they're having sex. And he's like, oh, you love it, don't you? You love it, you bitch. And then she's like, oh, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. And he just goes, what, what? And strangles it to death. And then when the son comes in and says, what do you do to mummy? He just shoots him dead. And I thought, that escalated. That escalated from like a, a brotherly affair to like a double murder. Um, I'm surprised, to be honest, that C. Thomas Howell forgot that happened. <laughs> I'm surprised that he did. That slipped his mind. Um, so... And then it just ends with everyone getting their comeuppance and so on and so forth. But there are some funny moments in it. But it's one of those films that is boring for long stretches. Um, and it's it's obviously yeah. trying to be a kind of escape from New York thing, but not um, – it, it just hasn't got the budget or the writing or the competence all around to deal with it. But whenever Roddy Piper or, or Lynn, uh, Mackenzie Gray are on screen, it's solid gold. See Thomas Howell continues to be miscast in everything he's in, apart from and including possibly The Hitcher. Yes, I noticed that 
the highlights you pointed out to us didn't involve C. Thomas Howell. Mm. Involved other actors doing other the things. Wood. So, yeah. Um, um, okay. But so is the, it, the, the director is it again? It's called Shepherd. It's 2.8 on IMDb. I got it on DVD from the charity shop for 10p in Cardiff Ops. Um, the other directors, the director's other features, by the way, it's not going to take too long to read these out. A single episode of Perry Mason, a single episode of West Point, a TV show from the 50s, and Leslie Nielsen's stupid little golf video from 1997. Wow. Okay. That is that man's career. Doesn't sound like an awful lot of blockbuster feature films. <clears throat> okay. Shepherd. Um I will talk about Evil Dead Rise, which is on Netflix. Oh, okay. Uh I feel it should have the definite article at the start. The Evil Dead Rise would make more sense, but here we are. Anyway, this is the fifth instalment, I think, in the forty year franchise. Uh, and the focus this time around is on this slightly chaotic family in a condemned apartment block. And the the mum is laid back at best, should we say, neglectful at worst. Her pregnant sister comes over. So now we have two adults, two teens and a younger sister, like a kid sister, um, plus some of the other residents as general fodder. And it's set over one night. Good. Um first 30 minutes sets up the various tensions and conflicts and then this earthquake occurs and a hole opens up in the car park underneath and naturally the kids decide to go and explore what's down there and they find the necronomicon so they open it and events ensue and i i kind of appreciate that kind of non-nonsense attitude where it's like the narrative propulsion just takes precedence over logic like they go into the hole, explore a tomb, open the book, boom, does it. The character just does it. No discussion. And <laughs> they don't does, even talk. It does mean the film runs into some problems later in some of the quieter moments. Like, why are they not trying to get help from the police? Or if they're trapped, get out. can they shout out the windows, etc. But thankfully, there aren't many quiet moments anyway. This, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Evil Dead reboot from 2018. I must have, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I found that just relentlessly brutal. And this one has a bit more of the humour of the original movies, without going all out groovy. But it's it's way more fun than Evil Dead 2018, and it hits the balance between uh, like the fun and viciousness a bit better, I would say. And I think what makes it scarier than the previous films in the series are the stakes here, because notably the presence of this younger sister who's just a kid um, and of course a pregnant lady as well and the fact that all the characters are inherently likable they're not just idiotic teens shagging in the woods they're a slightly dysfunctional family trying to exist together I mean but there is some spectacular gore in this movie like this someone like chews glass in close-up someone gets their leg cheese grated the, the makeup mm. effects are just incredible and it all feels very visceral if ridiculous uh what's the reason they chew glass by the way is that do they Sorry? decide to do they yeah, just run out of food and think they're that... possessed i suppose and they're like oh look, <laughs> no, this, this is gonna taste nice um it sounds it's like the grass how bad can it be it's not mean 
like as in the bad old days of torture porn it mm. it understands the grammar of gore i would say just like the terrifier movies so you you don't feel like a worse person after watching it and <laughs> There's a re- there's a fun reference to The Shining, which I appreciated, where two characters are spat out of an elevator on a torrent of blood. So that was good. And the final scene is brilliant. Lift, please, Rupert. Elevator is the Americanism. And yes, also, sorry. if we can get I'm, through I'm an pan- episode without you, me- without an episode with you mentioning Kubrick, that would be fantastic. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I've gone through entire like tens of episodes without mentioning Michael Dudikoff. You can do it with Kubrick. All right, it's a deal. That's the last <laughs> reference to The Shining. <laughs> Um, until, we watch, until we review Ready Player One again. Um, <laughs> the final scene is brilliant. Proper multi-limbed monster and some genuine peril. I don't think there's anything new in the film, but it's really well made and scary and very taut. Um, it's a splatter movie, which never tips into outright nastiness. I still think the Terrifier films are the current gold standard for imaginative human destruction shall we say but i think this is in the same wheelhouse that it it finds a balance and you can have that extreme violence but also a kind of sense of humor so i think it works really well it's certainly better than 2018 film i enjoyed it a lot evil dead rise is on netflix that's, I've got a feeling my parents watched this and really liked it. Um, I'll have to check with them. But yeah, like I said, I, I've, it's been a bit of a day earth of horror for me the last um, few weeks. Um, just other things have taken precedence. So this 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 is one that I will watch soon and have a little... Uh, it's, it's nice to see, like you say, this is a 40-year... Um, pardon me, sorry, indigestion. A 40-year franchise, and it's, it can still surprise. Yeah. Are there any... Is, is there any reason for it to be an Evil Dead film? Does it feel like an Evil Dead film, or is it? Yes, because it it's got the whole thing about decent people getting possessed and becoming utterly like, well, just possessed by just the most base, violent, vicious instincts. Uh, and I and it feels more like an Evil Dead film than the last one because it, it I, as I said, it's got that kind of like humor to it where you know that you know there'll be a scene of someone like trying to like talk to a loved one who's clearly been possessed and it's like you think oh they're getting through to them (laughs) they might just better talk them around but you know know they're just gonna they're just gonna i don't know put their the other person's face in a blender or something it's just you just kind of and there's that kind of like amusing tension to it that it's just going to be relentless and there's going to be absolutely no negotiation uh but yeah i did enjoy it good sorry i joined then i'm struggling a bit today um but yeah that, that's one i'll definitely watch and um yes. one that you shouldn't watch yeah. is director dale trevilian directing well sadly now deceased american football player john matuzak in one man force 1989 132 minutes no sorry one hour 32 minutes um it's it's got ronnie cox and charles napier in it and this is a this is a double bill tmt because this was a film right that came on a dvd and on on the dvd it said oh it comes with a free film which i'll talk about after this Mm -hmm. um so 
I can't remember much about this film because this was well into like probably my second bottle of wine on my birthday on my brother's. And it's a film where nothing much happens in. It's just John Matuzic is a big bloke, like a big American football player. And I think he died like in his early 30s, not long after this film was made. Made the transition from sports to movies, as so many do. Um, and he's just like a like a New York cop and just... I think his partner gets killed and it's just him like going around pubs and bars, just roughing people up and until he gets to the bottom of who killed him. And it is, it does feel like that. It's got some bad comedy in it. Um, My brother said, the only thing he remembers from this film is, is that in every scene, he seems to be wearing a different jacket, which is, you know, you know those that and, and very noticeably. So like, you know, those, yeah. I don't know what they're called, you know, those jackets that um, like, jocks wore in the 80s the kind of puffery with the arms are yeah, yeah. like a badge on them and the puffery different yeah. colors sort of sports teams he's just wearing a different one in every scene <clears throat> um well, for really a different f- university team or something yeah like a different varsity sort of jacket thing that's yeah. the word isn't it yeah yes. it, it, but, but constantly um and there's a scene where like to, t- to tell you what the humor's like as an example there's a scene where he he gets one of his friends goes home and his friend's wife is really drunk and he puts her to bed and then she says, oh, no, stay, stay. And he's like, oh, OK. And strips down to like this thong and just gets in the bed. It doesn't do anything. But then in, he's still sleeping there in the morning and his friend comes in from his night shift. He's like, what the hell are you doing with my wife? And sort of storms out. And, and John Matuzic sort of goes, oh, God, what have I got myself into this time? He's like, well, you didn't have to just strip off and get the bed with her, did you? Because you could have just, you could, she could have said stay. You could have just kept dressed, stayed on the top till she fell asleep, pissed, and then left, couldn't you? So yeah, really. it's just, but that's the level the film is working at. And at the end, it turns out that Charles Napier's a baddie. And then when John Matuzic says, haha, Charles Napier, don't worry, because you might be a baddie, but I'm going to speak to Ronnie Cox. And then Ronnie Cox pops up from behind a box and says, ha, but I'm also a baddie. He's like, oh, for God's sake, could it get worse? Um, so yeah, it's not very good. Um, but What's what it is again? one man force? Okay. What is good is the free film that oh. came on that DVD, which we put on afterwards to watch, just assuming it would be absolute dross. And as I put it on, I said, I think. Oh, what was that then? Do you hear that? Was it gunshot? No, that was really weird. It sort of on my phone. It went on the headset it was like boom 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 but you didn't hear that i'm guessing it was nothing no, it sounds it like whimsical that. though yeah <laughs> it was just me singing disney songs in my head so yeah when, when we put on the other side of the dvd the free film yeah when the title came up i said i've seen this before i think i've seen this with rupert and the film is dark breed by richard pepin starring jack scalier and jonathan banks do you oh remember that film? yes vaguely yes yeah, as well, it's Pepin, Pepin as in PMS. Yeah, proper, proper production companies, Rupert, yes. Um, and I'm not going to go into it in too much depth because I think in one of the early episodes we covered this before and it just deals with a, a six astronauts crashing on Earth who've been affected by an alien organism and Jack Scalia trying to take them mm-hmm. down with his and his wife is one of the astronauts. It's really silly, but there's really good action sequences. It's all on location. It's really kinetic. In LA, and, by any oh, chance? Yes, it is. And although it's quite cheesy, it just feels like a good TV movie of the time. I think it's 98 or something. Or 96. I remember enjoying it. Yeah. So, but that they, that's my sort of two for one. I just wanted to catch up a little bit with the uh, the films I saw a long time ago. So, if you see a free movie, was it on the other side of the DVD? In fact, 
Well, you, you own a copy, do you? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. But it's the fact it says includes free movie Dark Breed uh, starring Jack Scalia. And who's That's clearly the main feature, clearly. And it's clearly the better film because One yeah. Man Force is just not good. Oh, that's disappointing, but yeah, I may have to revisit Dark Break. No doubt it's on Prime because they seem to have some sort of deal with PM Entertainment, which instantly yeah. makes it the best streaming service. Um, yes, that's right. On another streaming service, Disney Plus, I watched Haunted Mansion. Is it the Haunted Mansion? Anyway, it's a revisit in quotation marks to, oh, this, okay. to the spooky abode popularized in the Eddie Murphy comedy horror from the early 2000s. Especially a remake of the Eddie Murphy movie. Um, it's based so, on a ride. It's based on the ride, isn't it? In, yes. Um, and I, the issues with that original film were mostly that it just felt like an excuse for lots of ride sequences. Some things have been shifted around in this version. Like in Eddie Murphy's movie, it was it was like a happy family visiting. It, but in this version, um, the main character is placed by Lakeith Stanfield. Um who you'll remember from Knives Out. And mm. so his character, he's lost his wife and he's thrust into a situation where he and a bunch of folks are trapped together in the mansion and they can't leave on any kind of permanent basis because ghosts will follow them and cause havoc wherever they go. So they need to solve the mystery of what happened to the inhabitants of the house and free their spirits. Now, tonally, this film is all over the shop because... It, it combines like low effort comedy scenes with genuinely intense horror scenes and some quite morose emotional exposition. Like Lakeith Stanfield's character, he couldn't be more different to Eddie Murphy. Like Eddie Murphy was all wide eyed positivity and energy, of course. But then Lakeith's character is like deeply depressed, constantly hunched and totally unmotivated for the job at hand. Which doesn't really make for a roller coaster. Constantly, constantly hunched and totally unmotivated with like the evil stepsisters in Cinderella, weren't they? Also named my sons. Um, <laughs> the script isn't funny, but the comedy scenes are just about carried by what is a talented cast. I would say, like it, you got Lakeith Stanford, you got Tiffany Haddish, you got. Haddish, you got Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Rosario Dawson, Jamie Lee Curtis, Dan Levy. So there's good people in the cast, um, but the script just is not funny in itself. I, but they, they elevate it because especially Owen Wilson, who does that slightly whispered disbelief thing better than anybody, I'd say. It just feels like a weak script is a waste of a good cast. So at, the film looks horrible. It has that ghastly digital sheen where even like live sets end up looking like cg backdrops and there's the odd fun idea in it like especially when the corridors start twisting around in real time and some of the ghost designs are kind of cool i suppose but they're just no memorable set pieces it's it's like visiting like a cool museum with a child like you you glimpse the stuff on the way through but you come out feeling like you've missed like the real enjoyment of it and yeah it's not terrible but it's not noticeably better than the eddie murphy movie and it's worse than the very similar muppet haunted mansion movie so if you're looking for something halloweeny and child friendly go for the muppets fair enough 
Did I, um, the last time we did this, I remember this was obviously the part two of the Halloween thing. Mm -hmm. Did I talk about a film called Snake Eater? Um, You may need to describe it to me. About a a Marine who, um, about a Marine whose sister, I think I did talk about this, didn't I? I feel like I have a Marine. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's right. That that kind of saves me a little bit of time there, because I talked about Snake Eater. See. You've already and talked Snake. about Shepherd with C. Thomas Hal today, so we've got, we've got that covered. Yeah, and Snake Eater 2, the drug buster, is more of the same, so I can take that yeah. off. That's fine. Um, well, yeah, this just kind of leads me into um, <clears throat> my next film then, which is I watched... Uh, you Actually, it follows on nicely from your Haunted Mansion review, because I was... Um, son has been watching some Scooby-Doo recently, Pink Panther and stuff. Oh, nice. <clears throat> and I idly thought... Actually, did I talk? No, I wouldn't have talked about this last time. Would I? No. Um, I idly thought, what would be the, what would be the best Scooby Doo animated film? Because I wanted to watch something long form. Because I can't take any more fucking Peppa Pig. And pardon me, sorry. And um, when you type in Scooby Doo animated like animated movies best film, Scooby Doo and Zombie Island is it's like by far and away the best one it's always yes. really highly rated i and i remember s- it's like searching for something similar like i like i don't know halloween movies for kids sort of thing yeah and it, this one always came up and and, and kind of rightly so because i thought i had to pay cash money for this it was like 350 or something on amazon but i wanted to watch this on halloween night and i didn't know what to expect because of course scooby-doo is so formulaic and I th- the thought of it, I mean, this must be 70 odd minutes or 77 minutes. I thought, sh- how is this going to be? And how can it be so highly rated when, if it just follows the theme? Mm-hmm. Like, what what can they do, if you know what I mean? Um, but it's really good because it's, it starts off and the gang are, are sort of separated. Uh, this is 1998, by the way, uh, Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island. So they're sort of separated. And... Uh, Daphne, she's the burner, isn't she? I always get Daphne and Velma. Yeah, Daphne's the burner. She's she's yeah. gone into this sort of she's sort of dispirited with the whole um like the fact that everyone they caught just turned out to be a dude in a suit. So she's saying she's gone this she's written a few books and she's on this talk show and she says, I'm just gonna scour the country in a bid to just find something genuinely haunted. And Fred is her uh sort of a producer. And Shaggy and Scooby-Doo are working in an airport and they, they see this. And Velma, I think, run, is like works in like a bookshop and they all reconvene to go on this cross-country search. And they stop, I think it's in New Orleans, and there's someone, uh, like a fruit and vegetable over here is the fact they're looking for something truly haunted. And says, oh, my, 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 I work for a mistress in her house wanted to fucking back if you want to swim by for a cup of tea and they're like oh we'll give the goosey you know everyone's like it's probably a lot of bollocks it'll probably be a dude in a suit but we'll go along and the whole film is playing off the initial the initial thing like they they're just all assuming it's going to turn out to be a dude in a suit but it turns out to truly be something supernatural and it's done in, in quite a funny way that there's sort of dawn and realization that they're not just going to, oh, here we go again. And uh, there's some really creepy parts to this film. And mm. th- there's some like creepy parts. And then there's a final kind of transformation that I thought, Fuck, that is really spooky. That is really spooky. And it's not just like how they, how they transform at the end. I don't want to spoil it. Cause I think we should watch this. At the end. I, I will be watching this. Yeah. It's not like it just, it's, it's not like what they, 
how they transform. It's like what they say and what they're actually up to. It's just really quite dark. Um, so yeah, it's just it's definitely worth a goosey because it, it's generally funny. Um, and it's the voice acting is great. And it's probably the only time the Scooby Doo franchise can be this meta and so uh, sort of sort of self looking, if you know what I mean, and playing on its own history. Because I guess I mean this is this is almost twenty years ago in itself. Well, certainly nearly 30 years ago in itself. So you kind of wonder, I can imagine that watching the next best film would be very different. You know, it would, right. it would it, they couldn't retread this path. And it was a really clever, oh, who wrote it actually? Because it was really, really nicely written. Oh, based on like a story by Davis Doy and Glenn Leopold. I'm not sure if those names are going to... No. No. But yeah, so um, Scooby Doo and Zombie Island, I mean, I'd be happy for that to be a... Um, happy to be a yearly feature for me to be honest yeah yeah because it, it is that it is that strong and the thought the fact that it's such a, a good one you can watch with kids and it is so interesting it's you know there's so many moments when shaggy wanted to say fucking hell and so <laughs> stuff was going on was like, fuck me this is scary um, and someone goes what's going on i haven't got a fucking scooby-doo mate yeah no one says that thank god uh, but yeah so yeah scooby-doo brilliant on zombie island yeah doesn't look like it's available to stream free, as you would have found out. Hence, paying three pound fifty for it. Um, cool. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. Uh, something completely different. This one on Prime. Film called Long Weekend, which I didn't even know about, but it's it was made in nineteen seventy eight. Which I the guess weekend. Long Weekend. Oh. 78 makes it, I suppose, part of the Australian New Wave because it falls into the same period as like Picnic at Hanging Rock and Mad Max. Uh, it's wake, not, wake in front? Yes, would have been around the same time. So not really a horror film, more of a, like a bleak extended nightmare, really. It's about this bitter argumentative couple who go on a camping trip in the Australian outback and they do a lot of bickering and yelling he drinks beer and shoots his gun and she mugs around wanting to go home. Secrets <laughs> are gradually revealed, uh, an affair, an abortion, all the reasons that the hatred is coming to the surface and why they're clearly breaking up. Um, and then nature turns on them and like, so like an eagle attacks them and a, and a possum and there's this beached whale that sings plaintively and just won't die it all escalates to the point where the creatures of the outback are literally trying to kill them um the wife is played by brian e Behetz, who would just become a tv actress mostly the guy is played by someone called john hargreaves who sadly died age 50 uh, from aids and actually sam neill and brian brown were apparently amongst the pool bearers so that's oh, wow. cool. yeah um it's it's a really grim, sweaty movie, very raw, um, very 70s, slow paced and plot light, I would say, has these tiny bursts of an electronic synth score. Good. Like all good, <laughs> good performances. I'm not sure how exciting it is to watch like a startled man by a campfire shooting at sounds in the undergrowth. That's the kind of like action you get in this film. I guess it's a film about the essential selfishness and callousness of people, but also our inability to function 
uh, in the face of those qualities in other people. Classic 70s cynicism. It, this is a couple who they're leading utterly separate lives and there's no bridge of communication between them. They are in effect already divorced, really. And it's like the incoming threat of nature is symbolic of the animosity of a marriage just clung to for no good reason. And they're thrusting themselves into this wholly miserable situation and nature is just on cue to remind them of their folly, really. It's not nature in this film. It, it isn't indifferent. It's just hostile. And because I suppose by insisting on perpetuating this unhappy marriage, this man and wife are committing something unnatural, I suppose. It's all very symbolic in that way. And it, it, as a film, it's definitely a curiosity, I'd say. It's a total misery fest, but it's not boring. And it's symbolic in all kinds of different ways. So it's recommended if you in the mood for something cynical and bleak and not quite a horror movie. And yeah, I suppose it does fall into the same category as something like Wake and Fright, where it's like not so much a story as just a mood and just constant sweat. So uh, yeah. I kind of enjoyed it as it's kind of unique, but not exactly one to stick on for the annual Halloween horror marathon. Put it that way. It's one to watch on your own when you're feeling particularly cynical about the world. Have you looked at um, the director Colin Eggleston's oeuvre? There's some Not stuff, really. there's some <clears throat> Nightmares from 1980 produced it on that, and then he did uh-huh. uh, the film called Outback Vampires in 1987. It sounds like there's some gold in there. He passed away at the age of 60. Um, so in in switzerland so i don't know if it's some sort of assisted thing but because is that where they allow assisted suicides or euthanasia it's switzerland yes yeah. yeah um but um yeah it just some, this looks like there's some gold there so it could be oh, worth yeah. looking into that man i wonder if yeah i do wonder if he kind of shifted into just trash horror hopefully <laughs> i mean <laughs> if there's, Nightmare if there's sounds a like he's a slasher movie so mm, yeah i'll have to check out his yeah oeuvre but yes, it's quite a uh, it's quite an interesting film. Long weekend. Yeah, there's uh, Wake and Fright, and that the, the there's something about I think when you talk about the new wave of like French horror with stuff like Martyrs, where it's just really full on. Um, there's something about there was something about that new wave stuff in the seventies, the Australian stuff like Wake and Fright, where it kind of reminded me of when I watched the, the original The Hills Have Eyes, where it just feels like the actors themselves aren't safe, if that makes sense. Not, it, yeah. it, look, there's a scene in, I'm sure it's The Hills Have Eyes, that's the one where the camper van breaks down, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and the, ki- the kid is wearing, like, Converse shoes, and he's running full pelt down a rocky slope. And they're those kind of big boulders just on top of each other, in you know, just mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. There. If he slipped, which he would in plimsolls, then he would just cleanly snap his legs. Like they would just get caught and he would. But they've obviously just said, right, run down that hill, Bert. And he's just done it and they filmed it. And like Wake and Fright seemed like that. Like no one, it just felt like they were just filming these people doing these things. And it's just it's just deeply unpleasant. Um, so Didn't Wake and, Wake and Fright did have genuine scenes of like kangaroo hunting as well, didn't it? Yeah, which I did fast forward. I watched it. It goes on for about 10 minutes. And right. after like a minute, I thought, this is really unpleasant. They're like, 
they're like hitting them with cars at night, and then like drinking and laughing, pouring beer, like pissing on them and shooting them, and they writhing around. It's like I don't want to see this. I don't really want to see this. So I did yeah. fast forward, but then I, I kind of separated that from the rest of the film. Total Pleasance is solid gold in that film. He's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. He's have such a dry mouth. See <laughs> the scene in that film where he says, "Back in England." Um, I was denounced and I had my license revoked as an alcoholic who wasn't, I wasn't even like a capable, capable husband and father, let alone a doctor. But over here, my alcoholism is barely even noticed. Such an embarrassing culture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who can forget Chips Rafferty? Remember that bloke in the bar at the start who's just yeah. caning full pints in nanoseconds just casually? Jeez, it's a depressing bar as well, isn't it? It just it's really bright and yeah, it's, it, 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 all the beers are really watery and like foamy, and they're just all like it's it's like they're drinking because there's nothing else, and they're playing that weird that weird like game where they just they like throwing like a dice up in the air or whatever, and they're all going hey! and it's just like you're just drinking, aren't you? Like you've got nothing to yeah. do. Um, yeah, it's a horrible film, horrible film. Um, and wonderfully so, obviously. Um, but you are right. Something the long weekend is probably something I I could probably would. Is it a film I'd ever sit down and think, oh, I'll watch that? Or will there always be other things that? Um, there may always be other things, but I I mean, for me, the reason what that drove you to me, it actually? What yeah? What we were going to say? Well, what? it was like you know when you've watched a lot of like quite glossy modern films where. You know, it's all everything's very kind of clean and digitized, and it. I wanted something raw, uh, and something creepy and raw and atmospheric and visceral and analog, and that just popped up. Um, and I thought, well, it's seventies Australian sort of horror. I thought, well, I gotta, I've gotta watch that, haven't I? miserable like existential yeah. drama in the outback good yeah it is i know you mean it. it's like we both went through that phase of, of wanting the early 80s new york slashes yes yes, yes. um and, and i think yeah i can imagine it's some nasty outback like well the horrors and thrillers to be honest they're not neither of the films we talked about that awake and fright horror no but in my, in but my mind they feel like horrors because they're they, so yes because, <laughs> yeah. yeah they actually they are quite similar in in terms of like themes i suppose because it's all about this like really corrupted masculinity uh in like deepest australia and but they feel like existential nightmares really and i think that's why like, they kind of fall into the horror category yes there's definitely something a bit more supernatural about long weekend but anyway i think it's worth a watch if you're in the mood i watched a film that is actually a horror on netflix um, a film. I I don't know what country it's from. Let me just have a little. Oh God. Oh God. Oh no. A I'm Romanian production starring Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. It's called The Conference, and it is a Swedish film. <coughs> um, and this is on Netflix. Um, I don't know why we chose this. I think it's because um, it. it I don't. I'll have to. I'd, if Faye was awake, I would ask her. But we kind of just settled on this because I guess I, it must have just been the, the um, synopsis appealed to us. I guess it's a Swedish film, The Conference, 2023, an hour and forty, on Netflix, and it's subtitled good. And it starts off with it's set up as like a team building 
exercise mm. where this 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 company i think the company is unnamed or i can't remember the name of it um and you get a load of uh sort of stereotypes turning up to this holiday camp this really depressing holiday campsite that's just closed and just set up for them and, they, and they, what they're doing is they're part of this company that the next day is going to be breaking ground with a with a golden shovel an actual golden shovel on a new it's going to be a new shopping center and they said it's going to draw ikea and the reason this holiday camp is closed and is is sort of hosting them for this team building conference is because they were under the impression that obviously this having this huge market next and this sort of mall is going to attract lots of people to to stay there um so it's a promotional thing um and you've got everyone who turns up is very much a it's a stereotype or archetype if you've got a um you know you've got for example like the 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 career driven sort of macho man and then you've got the it nerd you've got the person who's unconscious stereotypes stereotypes. um more like a kind of like uh a mentor or a warrior he's somebody a bit more primal well, like me i'm an archetype then um, <laughs> both mentor and warrior <laughs> I, I mentor <laughs> my my warrior which is me in the mirror um it's it, you've got like a there's a person who has been off work f- from stress and she's come back and she's missed a lot of the work that's led up to this which plays a key plot point there's a, a sort of simpering secretary type two older people sort of hr people who remember when the work they did mattered and they it, you know they weren't just there as a tick box exercise pushed to the side whenever it gets in the actual way of corporate greed um and it kind of it's although they're all tick box uh examples of the kind of people you would meet in this company it, it kind of works because they all bounce off each other so well mm-hmm. and although it's sort of melodramatic it's it's quite realistic like there's a scene where towards the start when uh lena who's the character has been off she's it's, it's hinted that she's had a sort of breakdown and she's come back and when they're settling into these lodgings she's and it's, it's quite miserable it's like autumnal and dark and a bit rainy and she, they're in these sort of um chalets and she's looking at the paperwork and they forged her signatures on some stuff while she was off and she's like i wouldn't have done this what why what happened to that farmer who who we he would move out of his house it was going to be a blockage for the property and they're like oh yeah, don't worry about it and then she finds out that he just in brackets hung himself the night before and it's like oh, so it's not a problem anymore and she starts to question it and the way the alpha male deals with it is he says come with me come and he's like this he kind of looks like the leftovers of adrian brody so he sort of takes her back to his cabin and she's generally looking for explanations as to like what's been going on all these sort of uh, you know these this these strange choices and the forged signatures and he just gets his dick out <laughs> he just like takes him out to the chalet and just like strips down and he's like oh, there you go then get on it and she's like no i i, I actually want answers I, I don't just want to shag you i don't fancy you and he's really offended at it and um and yeah it's so it's it's kind of silly in some moments but sort of deservedly so because they're playing up to these stereotypes and then what happens is it's so depressing this holiday camp um a killer turns up and sets up a lot of traps in the surrounding forests and basically hunts them down one by one and it's sort of a slasher but it's it's a an eco-minded slasher but it doesn't feel preachy because what it's kind of getting at is just common sense and decency 
So mm. it doesn't feel preachy because I was watching and thinking, well, yeah, these, some of these people are being, you know, the the C word. So you, they do get their comeuppance. So some of them are truly foul, and some of the um, some of the uh, the the kills are quite <laughs> quite graphic, but mm-hmm, never. Mm-hmm. But there's always like a tongue in cheek um, level okay. to it. So I actually really enjoyed this, um, and it's generally got some funny. The the, the sort of the way that um, they're so disillusioned. The older the older two from HR just constantly smoking and drinking wine and reminiscing about the old days and just saying because they actually want to make positive change and it's just they're just being crushed by the corporate machine and the, the way they just sort of give up and they just end up just smoking and drinking it's like brilliant um <laughs> so and there's some like really tender moments so yeah it's um I really I really enjoyed it on a lot of different levels um there is a sequence where someone gets raised up on a flagpole by someone else pulling their weight up through kind of a Ooh. what's the word not, not a coil like but but then i thought that doesn't look right for some reason and i actually went online and it says yeah apparently it you can't through that through you can't hoist someone up on a flagpole if they weigh more than you apparently okay the way they do it like because they're kind of walking away from the flagpole with the rope over their shoulder yeah so it's that you're not using your arm strength you're using your body weight and apparently you can't do that with someone who weighs more than you so that was a flaw straight away Surely, so, if you were strong enough, that you could pull them up, though, couldn't you? If you're like leaning against the rope, they would go up, wouldn't they? If you were leaning, yes. entirely so, dependent uh, on your weight. But if you were doing it, so imagine you're not there, like so. I weigh more than you, supposedly. So you're, you're, I'm, I've got a rope tied around my waist to, a, and you want to hoist my corpse to the top of a flagpole. It'd be but struggle. in, I know you probably got a semi. As I'm saying these words, so you're. <laughs> You're not grabbing it and yanking down, like as in to raise me. You're 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 got the rope over your shoulder and you're trudging away from it. Grabbing it and yanking down. <laughs> yeah, my third album. Those dogs. <laughs> they were dachshunds, weren't they? Um, <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, it, it just looked weird because he's doing it with surprising ease, and I thought that doesn't look right because she's a big lady. Um, so yeah, good film, good horror. Um, ecologically minded, and yeah, uh, I had good fun. It does not adhere to the laws of physics. Um, that is a problem. And it's called the conference. What? Yeah. What service was it on? It was on Netflix. Okay. <clears throat> well, I have subtitles on all the time anyway. So, what difference yeah. does it make? Do they speak in Flemish or whatever it is? Um, <laughs> Flemish. <laughs> Easiest um, language to grasp. <laughs> My final film for today is Invaders from Mars, which is on Prime. Uh, This is uh, Canon Films. It is Tobe Hooper in his mad 80s period when he was making films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Life Force. It's a (laughs) remake of a great 50s sci-fi film. Stan Winston does the creature effects. What could go wrong with this? You may well ask. So this alien spaceship lands behind a hill outside a family home and the kid witnesses it, but the parents dismiss it. Uh, The father goes and checks it out anyway. But next morning, the father is acting weird and he has a strange mark on his neck. And Toe Pooper waste no time revealing exactly what's going on here the aliens are taking over humans as hosts uh 
which I think is a good move. We don't waste any time on a mystery, which should be blatantly obvious anyway. So instead, we get multiple scenes of the father doing weird things and freaking out his kid, acting differently. And then the cops start acting weird and then other adults and the kid's mum. And basically, within about 20 minutes of this movie starting, virtually everyone's been possessed, all the adults anyway. And what I like about the concept is that it's from the child's perspective, like because when adults aren't acting like kids around their kids, they can seem quite odd, I suppose, like very self-serious and stern and stiff in a way that kids can't really relate. Um and the way that the horror starts with the parents, it's not like a horror that gradually closes in to threaten the family unit like it normally would be. It's right there from the start. And Toe Pooper is quite playful in these scenes. There's like one scene where like the, the scene where the kid realizes mum is possessed is when she just she takes out some like raw mincemeat and just pours salt all over it and just eats it raw. It's like, ah, oh, right. it doesn't seem <laughs> so. So far, there's mum, of course, Linda McCartney. <laughs> It, it seems like, you know, it's got a handle on things for a while. But then this kind of creepiness and humour gives way to campiness and special effects pretty early on. And I found the goodwill starting to fade. And then it ends up, it just goes down and downhill. Ends up with a trashy all-action finale with the army moving in. An unbelievably incompetent army. And I think Tope, what Topi was going for is like old school 50s style acting and st- and sets he he's not looking to update the original movie it's also as tame as a 50s movie like there's a disappointing lack of gore in the film and like you get these huge alien monsters near the end and they have these enormous like lethal looking teeth such they just shoot lasers out of their mouths it's like it's weird but it is is flashier than the original, but I think the reason it doesn't work as well is because it it has this self conscious campiness to it. Like the original film, which I think was fifties, maybe early sixties, but it had this eerie formal soberness that made it more subtle and impactful. But this one just looks like Golan and Globus visited the set and told Toby Hooper to add more guns and shouting, basically. <laughs> but don't add any more gore for some reason. So remember, I mean, Toe Pooper obviously made Poltergeist in the early 80s, and that was popular because it was a mature and modern horror movie for young people. It, it lent sort of like 80s blockbuster high production values to an old fashioned ghost story and made it accessible. But this is a deliberately winking throwback that will just annoy older fans and look absurdly cheesy to younger people. So I don't think it works at all. It's Invaders from Mars. Just watch the original, I think. It's It started off positive there, didn't it? Because it did. I, it, it, I was it kind of promise. The first, like, 20 minutes, half an hour is really good. It's just when it turns into, like, action trash and you realise that actually it's not... There's no real, like, threat. It's just kind of, like, visual gags and stuff. It doesn't work at all. Yeah. yeah that that leads really nicely into my final film actually of the day because I rewatched uh thanks to Laszlo, our occasional co-host and constant lover, Electric Boogaloo, with the wild untold story of Canon Films. Right, right, right. Um sorry. 
Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I thought you said 1990, and I thought, no, 2014, Rupert, surely. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Golden Globus, we've covered this before, it's just a two-minute TMT. Where, what I found, like, when I watched this last time, which was probably about two years ago, I guess, um, I, I remember just being swept away, probably having a few drinks, and just being swept away in the fact it was a documentary about canon. Yes. And I was kind of blinded by this sort of just brilliant, just schlockiness of the whole thing watching it now more soberly because i was actually in the mood to just learn more about it you realize that they were just like massively incompetent um and uh-huh. just just threw money just threw money at films and like some stuck most didn't and just treated people really poorly and and then just when when the problems started arising with like the cash flow would just to sort of selfish and stupid to realize oh we need to know what we need to just just keep doing what we're doing until it just pummels into the ground um and and it was interesting watching it twice because the 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 first time whereas i was kind of and it, it does warrant a revisit because the first time you're almost just waiting to see who turns up you've got sybil danning bo derrick michael dudikoff there i mentioned him again sue me um, Robert Forster, Elliot Gould, Tobe Hooper, of course, Molly yeah. Ringwald, Franco Nero, Dolph Lundgren, blah blah blah. When you know who's in it, you can you you can sort of drink in what it's actually telling you, and it just it just so I don't know, just so single-minded, and mm-hmm. it just seems like a like a decade-long car crash. Uh, and it was really interesting. Apparently, they did their own documentary, well, the Cannon Boys or whatever it's called, right. Uh, and I haven't watched that. That's harder to get hold of to watch. But watching this, I don't know if I need to watch it because it would just clearly be massively skewed. And it, I don't think it would. I would be surprised if it had the charm that the 80s output did. If it's about yeah. them and it's just a skewed version of what they did and what they achieved, I just feel like it would be a bit of a vanity project. So I don't really want to watch it. They were pounding out films in the 80s. Unbelievable the amount of films they Ridiculous. put out. Ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's like 20 a year. It's just, yeah. It just tickled. There's one scene that stuck with me where she said, um, some actress of the time, some sort of waifish 70s uh, pretty actress was like, oh, yes, I was I was in a film and they wanted me to take my top off and I was a bit unsure of it, but I did. And then I went back to my trailer and then when I came back after lunch, there was just a swimming pool full of people having full unprotected penetrative sex and they were just going to insert it in the film and i thought of course they were because they didn't they were like right this sells get it in there it's just yeah. so people were just like almost kind of like richard harrison with godfrey hole films where he just like signs up for something but they actually just make something else and just they just want your name on the poster and they can put a lot of filth to it um so yeah, it's 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 one I think I'll keep going back to every few years because it's just astonishing. It just feels like something that wouldn't happen now, you know. Yeah, I mean, they were. It was a weird one, kind of films. They, I know what you mean. They just threw money at everything, like and occasion. Like if you look at their filmography, it's like for every ten pieces of trash, just pure trash, you probably lost the money. You get like some weird experimental film or something like that, or like genuine work of art. Like they they finance the sequel to Koyana Skatsi, 
like this art film from the early 80s um which was kind of been superseded now but Koyana Skatsi was quite quite groundbreaking at the time remains groundbreaking but that was um because <laughs> it was just a basically a series of like cool sped up images of like um well, people tugging on it no, no, no just like scenes from like um busy cities and highways oh, right, and yeah. you know <clears throat> yeah, like sun setting and stuff like that probably not so impressive now but you know clearly just pure art installation cinema and then mm. like financing the sequel to that but they'll follow up with like blood sport or or something like that it's like what but uh, it it makes you wonder you kind of think well you know did they finance the kind of death wish you know the franchise trash to because secretly they were actually you know really interested in like finding new opportunities for real filmmakers but they weren't i I just don't think they were no i don't think they thought about it they're too brash like when you see them that they're so like just bullish and everything and and you, they, I just don't think they thought with that level of depth. Um, and but also, but I still prefer them to the asylum because yeah. Whereas the asylum just knock out like cheap knockoffs with like just no no originality and sort of tepid versions of other films, just really safe rounded versions of films. At least with them, they were unhinged and they didn't give a toot. You know, they just release stuff and just then if if it got cut, they would just scream until till it was released at the cinema. But so, maybe that's the why they have a bit more charm than someone like Asylum, where because because they didn't have any like sufficient business savvy. So some of the productions they finance would have been quite mad or to follies because they didn't know any better whereas something like asylum they probably do know the industry extremely well and it's almost like laser guided to make sufficient profit or whatever to finance their next movie mm. and it's all very controlled and safe like you say i think every single asylum and i've only ever watched them by accident um they right. they've all been really flat okay. and boring um i'm starring c thomas howell for the most part um, so that leads us rupert yes sorry heartburn. um that leads us to the Arkansas section of the podcast. Mm. Um, I'm go- I've got a few entries here. I'll let you do yours first. I and have to nail a- this one. I've got a controversial entry. So oh, it's not going to involve gonna- Savalas, is it? No, 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 no. But go on. So, so we uh, people had to get from, and just in, I know we have a new listeners all the time. But thank you, we love you very much. Um, the Arkansas is named after Alan Arkin and Robert Star, and it. You have to get from one actor to another only using the link of films that they starred in with other actors. Yeah. So uh, directors don't count cinematographers. It has to be, you know, so-and-so was in this film. Um, and so last week's episode was, or last last week, it was about a month ago. The last episode, uh, we set the task of getting from Laura Linney to Christopher Walken. And so Rupert, show them how it's done, babe. Christopher Walken is in King of New York with Lawrence Fishburne, who's in Mystic River with Laura Linney. Wow. A two-stepper. Uh, yeah, thankfully, I've watched both those films quite recently, so that was fortunate. 
I missed it. you watched that recently. That must have been a knee slapper. No, not really. Well, I said recently. It was like two years ago, but that's uh, recent uh, in my world. When you get to my <laughs> age. 26. Um, so, yeah, uh, well, we've got... Um, I'm trying to think of how to do this. Do you want the controversial one first? So yeah, we can decide we, before we carry on. So I, won't, I, won't I won't go and step on all straightness. So this is, from, this is from Utah Smith. And I will go completely on what you feel, okay? Okay. So my Arkansas entry may be a little controversial. I shall leave it up to the panel to decide. Um, I I had a feeling that um, Christopher Walken and Laura Linney have been in the same film together. I swear I've seen them. And I think it was like anywhere between like late 90s, early 2000s, around there. And I also think Robin Williams was in it, but I've, I just, just can't recollect any of the storyline or anything. So this is the controversial part. I did just... Google, well not Google, IMDb, Robin Williams, and just scrolled through his filmography. I didn't click on any of them. I just scrolled through to see if any pictures or anything of the posters or the little thumbnail images rang any bells. And I think, I thought it was a film called Man of the Year. Um, and I did check, and I was correct, right? Laura Linney and Crystal Walken were in the same film, so that's a no-stepper. However, it's up to you whether you allow me to have that because I didn't. I checked Man of the Year after I thought it was that one. I didn't like just look at it and go, hey. So that's up to you. But the, there is a no stepper. Whether it's legit no stepper, it's entirely up to you. I don't know what the outcome was when Rupert started reading a shitload of uh, Will Smith interviews about films, desperately trying to find the title of a movie or something. So I don't know. It's probably up there with that. Anyway, I'll leave it up to you to decide. But my official entry is Laura Linney and Christopher Walken were both in the film Man of the Year. Well, two things. Mm-hmm. He's right to mention the uh, Will Smith episode, although I was lambasted by my co-host for uh, taking a very long way to cheat my way to an answer there. Plus, I feel like you know, I put in the legwork there because that was a bit more research. I say research. <laughs> research. It's more on, it's more, it's on the toilet scrolling. Journalistic equivalent Smith. of Richard Gere and Mothman Prophecies. Prophecies. <laughs> I've ripped the phone out of the wall. And no, and so do well. Well I think points for effort, but they're kind of like phantom points, aren't they? It's like you can you can take the win, but does it really feel like a tree? Um, well, but the fine that's your decision. I'm happy to go with it. Um, uh, that's that's fine. No, I mean we can we can go with it because he obviously had a feeling, had a hunch, then cheated. But you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so other entries were Max. So Laura Linney is in Love Actually, which is handy as lots of people are, with Alan Rickman, yes. who's in Die Hard with beloved Brucey, who's in Pulp Fiction with Christopher mm-hmm. Walken. So that's the three stepper. Solid. Uh, Max also said there's also a route involving the Batman films, as Carrie is in one and also in Truman Show with Laura Linney. But the only collecting actor of the Batman films, Walken is in Returns, is Alfred. And I'm effed if I know his name. His name is, of course, Michael Goff. Yes. Uh, so, but either way, that's a two or three step. I remember. Carrie is in one, also in Truman Show with Linney. 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 So, what would that be? Linney is in Truman Show with Jim Carrey, who's in Batman. Mm hmm. 
Michael Goff was in. Yeah, so that's a three-stepper. Um, and Laszlo, our occasional co-host, constant lover, said, hey, babes, I have a lowly three-stepper for you. Laura Linney was in The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. He was in Batman Forever with Val Kilmer. He was in True Romance with Christopher Walken. Um, so he's found like another way around the Batman Michael Goff route. Uh, Utah's controversial entry. But Rupert, the winner for this week is Ben. Okay. Who said, drum roll. Christopher Walken was in a movie called Man of the Year with Laura Linney. <laughs> Boom, one stepper. I win everything. I am your god now. All in block capitals. So <laughs> he has, has won that. He also says... Um, it does make things a bit simpler. <laughs> Yeah. Um, by the way, the film is shit. I don't know why Robin Williams made any movies after Jumanji or stopped doing enormous mountains of cocaine. <laughs> that's a little postscript there. Um, so, so yeah, one stepper. I think that's Ben's second one stepper. You know, I've got a feeling he had another one as well. Yeah, so man, man, man of the Year is a film I have not. I was thinking when I saw Man of the Year. I was thinking of a film called The Big Year, which is another film with, I think it's like Steve Martin and, and someone in it. So I was thinking of a totally different film, but I don't think I've ever heard of Man of the Year. Right. Have uh, you? No. I mean, I've heard of it, but it means nothing to me. Um, so what is the, what's the, what's the Arkansas for, for next time? Right. Viggo Mortensen. Okay. That's a name. It is. So you choose Viggo Mortensen. Huh? I choose. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell, some of the films I've watched this week. Jesus Christ. A film full of Swedish actors. Snake Eater, Dark Breed, Jack Scalia. I think we've done C. Thomas Howell before. Roddy Piper would be a very tough one, wouldn't it? we can go for it you got Billy Blanks I suppose with Tough and Deadly but then Billy Blanks isn't exactly a then Roddy Piper's been in he was in They Live wasn't he yeah, Have we done Roddy... I, think, I think we could do that Should we yeah go okay Rowdy yeah Roger the Rowdy Roddy Piper okay so Viggo Mortensen to Roddy Piper um, there's a couple of bits left Rupert pardon me so this indigestion um, film of the week Oh, yes, 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 yes. What is, what is it for you? Well, I'm going to say Shocker because probably not technically the best film of the week, but it's the craziest and probably the one that fewest have seen, although several people listening to this podcast will have seen it because we watched, I watched it with them. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Shocker, yeah, if you can hunt that one down and let's try and boost his popularity so it gets uh, a proper 4k remaster just you can see all that superimposed vfx at the end um i mean i would recommend evil dead rise as well as a surprisingly cool installment in uh, a long-running series but that's probably all over people's watch lists anyway because it's netflix shocker we're a little bit trickier to find but it's worth digging out um, just a little side note is that um, our regular listener Transval is is kindly making a note and crafting a spreadsheet of, of our films of the week and the films we discuss. And thank you for that, Transval. He is doing the man's work. He did. He's doing God's work, is what he's doing. But 
he said that it can be a little bit tricky when we say film of the week and then we ramble on about how good multiple films are. So should we say like a film of the week and then I like what you did then with like a recommendation? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think the... in general we tend to try and pick out the slightly more hidden gems amongst them, don't we? Yeah. Um. For for me, it would be film of the week for me would probably be Scooby Doo and Zombie Island because it feels like I I'm prepared to watch that every year for the next forty years. Okay. Um, but which but will I did, almost certainly happen. But looking at the other films I talked about, wow. Um, I, I I'm going to say the conference is a recommendation because that is a good modern horror with with heart and it's amusing as well. Um, okay. there's there's two things here. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something and then I, I think we can, I'm gonna lead it out with this. Um, first of all, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We've got have you got a max gag prepped? Um, I can dig one out if you. Uh, okay, so you dig one out. I'll, carry, I'll say what I was going to say. So basically, uh, and I mentioned this to you offline earlier on. When I was reading about the shepherd with, sorry, not the shepherd, shepherd with C. Thomas Howell, I happened to find out that he has kind of moved away from acting, which is, in all fairness, probably for the best, and towards releasing country music. And he has fewer monthly followers on Spotify than my band, which I'm going to be smug about. But he he's released an album called American Storyteller, which is such a pretentious title for an album. Um, and he now just plays guitar and sings in like a countryman. And it, he his the single off his album is called Hell of a Life. And I, I think the lyrics are just about things he's done as characters in films. Okay. Um, some of these songs, like Whiskey Demon, 88 Rose Hill, they're just, they're just like bog standard country songs. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you tell the Max Gag and then I'm going to play us out okay. with, with, with Hell of a Life on, in honour of C. Thomas Howell. Just looking at some of these jokes. <clears throat> right. This one requires sort of quite twisted pronunciation, but let's give it a go. What <laughs> is what is Ivan Drago's favourite cheese? Rock e fort. Isn't that cheese pronounced row for? Rock fort. Rock e fort. save an alien when I was just 13 shot down a helicopter yelling Wolverines recited Robert Frost staring at the sun held my ground at the devil's den with an empty gun smoked marijuana with Cheech Chong survived the plane crash in the Amazon
Hey, it's Tia Carrere, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys.